Thanks, Glenn. I suppose I'm feeling a really big mix of emotions. I feel judged by my parents that I fell off the path and that they're hoping that I return to the church someday. But that's like wishing for someone to return to their abuser. I feel like my TBM family are ignorant because they're not aware of the whitewashed history and the inaccuracies in the truth claims of the church. They excuse the prophets and say that it's between them and God and their covenants in the temple, but they're still recognizing a pretend priesthood and fraudulent Masonic rituals. I'm angry at the unnecessary I'm angry when my dad tells me that I'm angry God at has the church's audacity for everyone. I'm angry at the suffering of the pain and I'm angry that an image I'm angry that I was taught that I hate your stories with literal and historical in the gospel. I want to shout and have that message in front of every TBM to wake up. You're being controlled in a cult. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I know that I'm judging others and that I struggle with black and white thinking, as well as needing external validation and approval. I keep gathering facts in a never-ending document of facts and quotes proving that the church is wrong in every way. I know I need to let go, but I also want to feel this anger without judgment. How do I let go of the need for external validation from my family and the need to prove them wrong and to prove me right? I know I need to just love the people around me and accept them as they are if I want to be truly loved and accepted as I am. But it's still a hard thing to go through. This is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. Who wants someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. Who wants religion to? Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. You can buy in this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone all right welcome back to infants on thrones i'm glenn ostland and this is episode 745 How to Walk Away from the Mormon Church Without Burning So Many Precious Bridges. And this is not the episode that I was planning on releasing today. The episode that I was planning on releasing today was another discussion I recorded a few weeks ago with Shalice and Mike from Mormons on Mushrooms, where we talked about synchronicities and other weird, interesting, fun stuff. And then after that, I was going to release an episode that I recorded last week with John Hamer and Randy Snyder catching up with them and talking about their evolving beliefs in God. Not even you, John. John, John says, says no. And I'm still going to release those two episodes in the next few weeks, but that's not what you're getting today. Because today, I received a message from a listener. Let's call him Ryan. Now, Ryan told me that he enjoyed the recent episode that I did with Zach and that he's in a similar situation. Ryan recently left the church, but his wife is still in the church. Now, Ryan just wants to put it all in the rearview mirror and drive swiftly away. 
And he's still in that angry phase and does not have many people to talk this over with because all of his family and friends are still TBM, true believing members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So I asked Ryan to tell me a little bit more about his anger, and he sent me the message that you heard a part of in that introduction. Now, here is Ryan's full message to me. Thanks, Glenn. I suppose I'm feeling a really big mix of emotions. I feel judged by my parents that I fell off the path and that they're hoping that I return to the church someday. But that's like wishing for someone to return to their abuser. I feel like my TBM family are ignorant because they're not aware of the whitewashed history and the inaccuracies in the truth claims of the church. They excuse the prophets and say that it's between them and God and their covenants in the temple but they're still recognizing a pretend priesthood and fraudulent Masonic rituals. I'm angry at the unnecessary spiritual trauma and abuse and shame that I suffered from worthiness interviews, labeling myself as a porn addict, when in reality, I was just a normal growing teenage boy. I'm angry at the church's audacity to require exact unquestioning obedience and a covenant to give everything to the church, when the church has billions of dollars. I'm angry at the suffering, pain, and trauma that the church unnecessarily creates and perpetuates under the name of God. Sexual abuse, spiritual abuse, emotional abuse and control, misogyny, toxic patriarchy, when all of this is just made up and man-made. I'm angry that I was taught that the scripture stories were literal and historical. I feel duped and taken advantage of. I'm angry when my dad tells me that God has a big enough tent for everyone And then there continue to be harmful messages from the church leaders about LGBTQ exclusion and communication saying that the gospel is the only way to happiness and the only solution to the problems in life and society. I hate the doublespeak of the general authorities and the gospel topics essays. I'm angry that an image of God that was taught to me really amounts to God being a narcissistic abuser. And I reject that image of God. Truthfully, I'm more agnostic and atheistic now. Censorship, plus changing and whitewashing past problematic interpretation and revelation and historical events, plus don't criticize church leaders, plus doubt your doubts, plus just choose to believe and have your faith or you're a lazy learner, plus only look to church-approved resources, plus when the prophet speaks, the debate is over, plus obedience is the first law of heaven, equals 1984 totalitarian practices that rival Hitler and Stalin and a Stockholm Syndrome complex. I want to shout and have that message in front of every TBM to wake up. You're being controlled in a cult. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. (sighs) I know that I'm judging others and that I struggle with black and white thinking as well as needing external validation and approval. I keep gathering facts in a never-ending document of facts and quotes proving that the church is wrong in every way. I know I need to let go, but I also want to feel this anger without judgment. I have judged my feelings in the past and told myself it was wrong to feel or do something so I would avoid those bad feelings, suppress them, suppress myself from feeling the true height and depth of life's breadth and depth of feelings, emotions, and experience. Deep down, I really want to get in a huge Bible bash with my dad and tell him everything that is wrong with the church and prove to him that the church is demonstrably false and fraudulent. 
but I know that is my ego. I know if I can't control how they think or feel or believe, and that if I don't want them to judge me, then I need to not judge them. That the only person I can change is myself. But how do I let go of the need for external validation from my family and the need to prove them wrong and to prove me right? I know I need to just love the people around me and accept them as they are if I want to be truly loved and accepted as I am. But it's still a hard thing to go through. Doing things I used to do, they think I'm you. I sit and watch as tears go down. Yeah. Wow, you know, this is very familiar, Ryan, and I feel your pain. And I also feel my pain as I go back and I listen to this. So today, instead of publishing those other episodes that I had planned on publishing, I did a little digging and I found an old email exchange that I had with my dad back in 2008. And I'm going to share that with you here today. Now, just to give you some background, I was living in Japan at the time. And I was still kind of in the church. I was going to sacrament meeting with my wife and my kids. And my wife and I would end up divorcing just a few years after this email exchange. I hadn't started podcasting with Mormon Expression yet. I was still learning a lot of things. And I was processing them. And I was trying to keep my Mormon shelf from breaking. So I reached out to my dad through email really for two reasons. One, I wanted help. I wanted to know if he knew the things that I'd been learning about, and I wanted to know if he had any good answers to the things that were bothering me. And then two, I wanted to thank him. I had recently re-listened to my favorite General Conference talk of all time. It's one from President Hinckley, where he talks about the value of forgiveness. And he tells the story of a woman who was not LDS, which I thought was really cool, who suffered a massive car accident and terrible disfigurement because two teenage boys as a stupid prank, threw a frozen turkey from a highway overpass that shattered her windshield and sent her swerving off the road. She ended up going to court with them. She saw them face to face. She forgave them. And it's a really moving story. And so I wanted to let my dad know that I still cared about these things, like these Mormon kinds of things that President Hinckley was talking about in general conference, even though I was struggling with a lot of stuff and I had a lot of doubts. So the email that you're going to hear from me is my response to what he sent to me about that initial email. And you're going to hear me mock the way that he offered an olive branch to me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was mocking. You're going to hear it. Amazing, isn't it? Now, you'll also hear me trying to lay things on really thick to essentially Bible bash with him and prove that the church is not true, kind of like what Ryan said that he wanted to do with his dad. And then you're going to hear part of my dad's email response back to me. Now, spoiler alert, he felt attacked and he was annoyed. And this whole thing that I'm sharing with you today was a great, painful lesson that I learned, a lesson that was reiterated a few years later when I was watching the TV show Lost. And Mr. Friendly said this to Michael. You told him, didn't you? You couldn't carry the guilt of what you did to those two women all by yourself. So you shared it with a 10 year old kid. Yeah, so what was the lesson that I learned? Oh, you couldn't process the pain of your own valid choice to separate yourself from the Mormon church, so you dumped it out on the people that you love? 
Now, look, I, I really don't have the answers for you, Ryan. I, I don't know the right way to do this. I can tell you, however, that you're not alone. I can tell you that there are places where you can go that can help you process what you need to process and do it in healthy ways, in healing ways. I can tell you that I am a certified holistic life coach and I work with clients who struggle with these very issues and I've helped guide them through their own processing and I've become good friends with many of them because I can also tell you this, Ryan, I really do care and I also really do understand. I understand how important it is to honor your feelings, to honor that anger, your sense of betrayal, the pain of being judged and misunderstood. I understand how important it is to face those feelings and not suppress them or to repress them. And I know how tricky it can be to honor those feelings without becoming a victim to them, without creating deep neural pathways that keep you stuck in a loop of feeling that anger over and over and over again with no end in sight. I know how that anger over time can burn you up inside and damage your relationships with people that you love. It's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy place that you're at right now, Ryan. So this episode today is for you and for everyone else out there who has ever been or who currently finds yourself in a similar situation. You know, every healthy, sprawling tree started out as a seed that sprouted and grew and lost its leaves in the winter and grew them back in the spring year after year, growing and stretching out towards the sun losing branches here, growing new ones there. Now, each one of us is in a similar process of growth. None of us can avoid it. None of us can just skip past the hard parts and experience only the good parts. You're in a tough time of intense personal growth right now, Ryan, and you're not alone. So today's episode's for you. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> Hang on, Hold on to your hats and glasses, because this here's the wildest ride in the wilderness. <laughs> Dad, hmm, how to respond? Well, Dad, I've been working on this for the past three days now. Writing, editing, deleting, wondering what to say, how to say it, worrying how it will be received. As you expressed, I also don't know what to say about the contents of the last email. I also don't know if anything I could say would help anything at all. To answer your question, you got the tip of the iceberg as far as the anger and frustration goes. Most of it I don't express to you, mainly because I don't want to hurt you with it. But I also feel like I already know how you will respond, whether I really do or not. And I don't think it would really help. For example, what you said about accepting on faith things that you can't understand, quote, if I rejected everything that I did not understand, most of the things in my life would have to be rejected. Electricity, automobiles, trains, airplanes, TV, computers, email, and a whole host of other things that I do not understand, but accept into my life and utilize every day. Some, nay many, of the principles of the gospel are in that same category." End quote. Okay, Dad. Sure, in theory, I understand what you're saying. Especially the nay part. Nay. That's horse language, right? But your comparison to electricity, automobiles, etc., it just isn't helpful to me at all. 
Now keep in mind, Dad, that the skeptical part of me is very sharp and cutting, even though that's not how I want to be at all. But I can't hear those things without that skeptical side raising immediate alarms, like a burning case of acid reflux. I want to act respectfully towards the things that are important to you. But really, Dad, electricity, automobiles, etc., there is empirical evidence for all of those things. But the things of the spirit? Non-empirical. You can't really compare them to reach the conclusion that you're trying to reach. It doesn't work. At least it doesn't work for me at all. In fact, it has just the opposite effect. If every gospel conclusion is reached with the same logic, then I'm doomed. And maybe that's just the bottom line. I'm doomed. Each of those things that you mentioned is completely within your capacity to understand. It just takes learning about. And whether you take the time to do that or not, there are people who really do know how these things work. They can prove it in ways that you can measure and touch and see. Sure, some people might pose counter-theories and suggest possible alternate explanations, but by a process of elimination, you can put away all other possible explanations for how a TV works, i.e. a wizard's mental projection, and get to the empirical truth. But you can't do that for spiritual things. Yes, people can make an experiment on the words, a la Alma 32. But their personal conclusions are just that, personal. There's no way to empirically prove spiritual things and no way to go through a scientific process of elimination for all of the many other possible explanations for spiritual things, i.e. an expression of human imagination defined largely by traditional cultural expectations. That is why there are so many different interpretations of spirituality, of supernatural phenomenon, all over the world. Spirituality is tricky. Even the name, spirit. What is a spirit? It is indefinable by scientific means, and that protects it in some ways. No one can prove that human spirit does not exist, so there is still room for belief. However, no one has yet proven that it actually does exist either. That is why it's accepted on faith and faith alone, unlike things that can be demonstrated with empirical evidence. So the, I don't understand how a TV works, but it does analogy, just doesn't hold water for me. And really, regardless of the validity of your comparison, the very foundation is off because it's not really about the tough to understand things for me, and it's not really even about rejection either. It's about things that I think I understand pretty well and simply don't like. Would it help if I made a list of these things? I've considered doing that on many occasions, but I just haven't seen the point. I expect they would be dismissed pretty quickly. This is your gauntlet, by the way. And I would be left no better off, no better understood or accepted than I had been in the first place. I have a mental list, I guess, of things that I don't like, things that have added up over the years, but I've never actually really sat down and written them all out. I don't know if I could capture them all, even if I tried, but okay, I'll try. First, however, I want to be very clear that I'm not listing these things as a way of saying, I'm leaving the church and here's why. This is not a rejection, it's just things that I don't like. There are also things that I do like about the church, about the gospel, things that make me want to hold on to it and find a peaceful way to do so. What is the gospel about? What do I value in it? 
What brought me so much peace in listening to President Hinckley's talk on forgiveness? Ultimately, I think it's about love and charity, kindness, long-suffering, forgiveness. I value those things, although I know that I'm not very good at them. But the question I ask myself, the area where I struggle the most, is why do those virtues have to be tied so intrinsically to our Mormon faith? I think the answer is that they don't, and I'm glad about that because there are many things about the church that I simply don't like. Second, I want to be clear that this list is more about me and my reaction to things than about those things themselves. By framing this as things I don't like, I'm not rejecting or saying this is categorically wrong. I'm saying it makes me uncomfortable, uneasy, I don't like it, and I reserve the right to change my opinion. This is how I feel now. I don't know how I'll feel about these things in the future, and I acknowledge that no source of information is beyond scrutiny. Ditto for any one person's interpretation of that information, myself included. And if I'm being honest and fair, that must hold true to historical sources, like people's journal entries, as well as scripture. In other words, I acknowledge that I may be wrong, that everything may be wrong. But it's not really about right or wrong in this list as much as what I like and don't like about what I currently understand. So, that's my disclaimer. Now here's my list in no particular order. 1. I don't like that Joseph Smith married several women who were still married to other men at the time. Polyandry. But worse than polyandry. I don't like the way that Joseph's polygamy was shrouded in secrecy. And I don't like what I've heard about Fanny Alger and the alleged indiscretions as early as Kirtland. Here's an interesting website with good information if you're interested. www.wivesofjosephsmith.org I don't believe that these marriages were platonic. I believe there was sex. And that the claims against Joseph that led to so many people falling away were grounded in this reality. That explains to me why they were so outraged, and it's a better explanation than that they simply became apostate due to a lack of faith. Not that everyone had that lack of faith. Henry B. Jacobs, the husband of Zina, one of Joseph's plural wives, knew about their union and said, whatever the prophet did was right without making the wisdom of God's authorities bend to the reasoning of any man. I can't say the same thing. I especially don't like it when I read accounts of things he allegedly told these women and girls about angels and swords and exaltation and God having promised them to him, etc., etc. It tastes really, really bad, and I don't like it. Number two. I don't like that Joseph claimed that the book of Abraham and the book of Joseph, which he never actually got around to writing, by the way, came from the scrolls that he saw in the traveling mummy show the scrolls that were lost, but then found in the 1960s, that have been translated now and found to be common funerary texts, not what Joseph Smith claimed that they were. 3. I don't like Joseph's experience with the kinderhook plates. 4. I don't like the way James Strang appropriated Joseph's religious strategies, i.e. angelic revelation, new scripture from metal plates, after Joseph's death and led a splinter group with many prominent figures like one of the three witnesses. I don't like what that suggests. 5. I don't like the Joseph Smith translations in the Bible, especially in Corinthians 15 where he suggested that Paul was referring to a third telestial kingdom 
when it seems clear to me that Paul was making a clear dichotomy between corruptible earthly, terrestrial things, and incorruptible heavenly, celestial things. To say that the sun equals celestial and the moon equals terrestrial and stars equals telestial is, in my opinion, a gross misreading of Paul. And for us to continue to insist upon it is, in my opinion, arrogant and ignorant, but mostly just wrong. Number six, I don't like the image of Joseph as a teenager using a peep stone to locate buried treasure for hire and then using that same peep stone to translate the golden plates while claiming he translated with a Urim and Thummim that was found in the stone box with the plates and Laban's sword. That peep stone is something he had well before that. Number seven, I don't like the account of Zelf, the supposed white Lamanite whose bones were found on, what was it, Zion's camp? That sounds completely made up to me. Maybe Joseph was joking when he said it and people around him thought he was serious. I just can't believe it. Number eight, I don't like the Masonic influence on the temple rituals. Number nine, I don't like the Book of Mormon explanation for the origin of dark skin among the Lamanites. I don't like the racism promoted for years in the church with the apocryphal, less valiant spirits in heaven stories, and of course the ties to the priesthood being withheld for so long. Number 10. I don't like what I can see as a pretty clear evolution of doctrine, how the Book of Mormon cosmology is very Protestant-like. Jesus and God are one, a binary heaven and hell with eternal torment and damnation. And only later did we get the restored doctrines about the plurality, or individuality of gods, the degrees of glory, the ideas of eternal progression, celestial slash plural marriage. Even the first vision story seems to have evolved this way. I keep saying seems because I'm not sure and I could be wrong and as I mentioned earlier it cannot be proven but it sure looks like an evolution of thought that grew over time and is explained away now as line upon line revelation but I don't like it. Number 11. I don't like the difference I see between the way God is portrayed in the Old Testament wrathful, vengeful, to be feared and the way that God is portrayed in the New Testament forgiving, merciful, self-sacrificial, to be loved. 12. I don't like the literal interpretation of Old Testament stories, i.e. Adam and Eve, Noah and the Ark, Jonah and the Whale, Job, etc. 13. I don't like how the Book of Mormon supports a literal interpretation of Old Testament stories. 14. I don't like how the Book of Mormon quotes passages from the Bible. The Old Testament slash brass plate stuff is tricky enough with the King James Version language, but the word-for-word -word New Testament Beatitudes is even more puzzling. I would like it better if the messages were the same, but the words were different, to suggest a true translation from a different language. 15. I don't like the lack of historical evidence for Book of Mormon geography, or the things I once believed to be evidence, Inca, Olmec, Maya, Aztec, Quetzalcoatl, are not really evidence at all. 16. I don't like the recent DNA findings that challenge long-standing LDS beliefs about the Hebrew origins of the Native American people. 17. I don't like that the Book of Mormon text situates itself in history with prophecies of Columbus and the Revolutionary War and of Joseph, the son of Joseph. 18. I don't like the story of the missing 116 pages and the inability or unwillingness of Joseph to retranslate and duplicate those missing pages, 
thus providing some kind of evidence that he was getting it from a fixed source and not making it up in his head. The reasons given for not retranslating those pages, the large versus the small plate story, the way it's built into the Book of Mormon text itself as a fulfillment of prophecy, is either a brilliant literary evasion or true prophetic foresight on the part of Nephi, but it raises serious questions, and I don't like it. 19. I don't like that each of the original three witnesses fell away, even though Oliver came back and Martin came back, but not after endorsing several other successors to Joseph, like James Strang, among others. David Whitmer has an interesting history afterwards, using the notoriety of his experience to support his claims against Joseph Smith. Quote, If you believe my testimony to the Book of Mormon, if you believe that God spake to us three witnesses in his own voice, quote, wrote Whitmer, then I tell you that in June 1838, God spake to me again by his own voice from the heavens and told me to separate myself from among the Latter-day Saints. 20. I don't like that Jackson County, Missouri was said to be the original spot for the Garden of Eden. That just sounds so hokey and it ranks right up there with Zelf. 21. I don't like the distance today from Brigham Young's Adam-God theory. I don't like that prominent people like Brigham Young had teachings like this in the early days of the church that are now dismissed for whatever reason. What does that say about Brigham Young as God's prophet if he was teaching this in general conference and we reject it today as false doctrine? 22. I don't like that the word of wisdom has become so institutionalized and rigidly defined instead of its original intention and that Joseph Smith and other church leaders in Nauvoo still drank alcohol in moderation, but it is now strictly prohibited. 23. I don't like the suggestion that families can be together only if they are Mormon families, meaning that they have been baptized into the Mormon church and received the necessary saving ordinances that only Mormons can perform. That is too exclusive, even if departed non-Mormon spirits have the whole millennium to convert. 24. I don't like the judgment that is bred, unintentionally for the most part, in the church towards people who drink or smoke or have tattoos or act in any way that is contrary to the way that things are supposed to be. 25. I don't like when I see guilt being used as a motivational tool or the little abuses I occasionally see that accompany a certain sense of power. That's just human nature, nothing inherently tied to the church. 26. I don't like the doctrine of only true church. I think that sets up too much pride and puts down too many other really good people in the world. At least I have recognized those tendencies in my understanding of it. It's insulting, and it is the basis of the restoration that every other faith is an abomination before God. That is stronger language than we're comfortable with today, but it was unabashedly preached in the early days of the church. 27. I don't like to hear people say they know the church is true. The way that faith is distorted into knowledge and things are manufactured to be proofs that are not really proofs at all. Why should there even have to be proofs? Why should we feel pressure to know? It's not knowledge. Knowledge is the result of empirical evidence. It's science. But religion is faith, which is not scientific at all. And it doesn't have to be. I don't like the way that faith is dressed up like knowledge and the way that rhetoric of evidence-based knowledge, I know the church is true, has gotten such a stranglehold on our culture. 28. I don't like the insanely heavy emphasis on missionary work. Everything has to be turned into a missionary moment. 
I think it leads to dishonesty in some ways, that an outward appearance must be maintained for the sake of what others will think, whether that outward appearance is necessarily true or not. 29. I don't like it when I hear people say, I don't know where I would be without the Book of Mormon, or the Church, etc., implying that their lives would be a mess without it. This implies, A, that their lives aren't a mess anyway, and B, that people who don't have it live an incomplete, messy life. I live in a country, here in Japan, where the vast majority of people don't even have the influence of the Bible or Christianity, let alone the Book of Mormon, but they still have a strong sense of right and wrong. Charity and love and forgiveness and kindness are just as virtuous and desirable here as it is over there. 30. I don't like when people tell stories about supposed miracles that happened to them, like praying that it wouldn't rain and then having the rain stop just for them, or being burned in a boat accident everywhere except where their garments covered, or, and this is one of mine from a long time ago, driving in a blizzard and sliding on the road and nearly losing traction on a steep slope, but moving forward anyway, slowly, feeling like angels were pushing the car. Those stories are called memorats, and their purpose is to take a supposed supernatural experience and use it to validate a belief. They are very common among all faiths and groups of people, not just Mormons. They don't really prove what they're attempting to prove, and I don't like them. Well, that's not completely true. They fascinate me. But viewing them critically secularizes faith. And I can't help but view them critically anymore, and that's the part that I don't like. 31. I don't like stories that people tell that put themselves at the center of the universe without considering other people around them. Like the testimony I heard from a girl whose grandfather was taken to a Nazi concentration camp, but he was spared at the last minute, also that she could eventually be born and hear about the gospel and join the church and do his temple work for him. I don't like those, and quite honestly, I don't like myself very much for being such a sourpuss towards those stories and the genuine sincerity of the people who tell them. 32. I don't like the amount of time and energy spent in lessons and talks that function solely to reinforce our own testimonies in the truthfulness of the work. I don't like that we always have to remind ourselves that this is the true church, and this proves it, and this proves it, and this proves it, etc., etc. I get so bored with that rhetoric, and I can't escape it, unless I just escape it. And that just makes me angry. 33. I don't like the way that Tracy yells at our kids and stresses out trying to get everyone out the door to church. That feels completely contrary to the spirit of this whole thing for me. 34. I don't like the sense of frustration I feel when I'm mad at church, hearing lessons, hearing what to me sound like contradictions. We are so humbled to be the choicest of thy people. I really heard that in an opening prayer at a sacrament meeting and I nearly fell out of my seat. I don't like the anger that I feel or the desire that I have to be somewhere other than in that church meeting at that time. 35. I don't like the lingering beliefs in magic, that garments will protect you from harm, or that consecrated oil has magical healing qualities, or that bread and water is magically transformed by a priesthood prayer. I don't like the beliefs that people can change or influence the laws of nature through prayer or fasting. That's magic, Mormon voodoo, and I don't like it. 36. I don't like the idea of priesthood as a power. That goes into what I said about magic. 
I like priesthood as a symbol of authority or responsibility to treat people as God would treat them. I like priesthood as a symbol in the performance of symbolic rituals, but I don't like the literal interpretation that a power is transforming a person who is being baptized. That person's own behavior is what transforms them. Priesthood power does not seal a couple together the way they treat each other does. Priesthood, like the ordinances themselves, are valuable as symbols, but I don't like it when it's taken literally as an actual power. 37. I didn't like the covenant missionary work program in my mission, where we were told that we could bind the Lord through making covenants with him. For example, if we promised to wake up at 5.30 every morning to read the scriptures, or we gave up something that we loved, my companion gave up chocolate for a couple weeks, that we could bind the Lord to help us hand out more books of Mormon and get more baptisms. 38. I don't like it when Book of Mormon is pluralized as Book of Mormons. It's books, people. Multiple books, not multiple Mormons. 39. I didn't like Elder Cox in my mission and his relentless quest to become AP, Assistant to the President. I especially didn't like the time that he told me how amazing it was that I could have both spirits with me at the same time. Long story. 40. I didn't like Elder Witt in my mission and his manipulative attempts to make the three missionary companionships in our district commit to 12 baptisms within two months, his last two months, for the sake of his own personal legacy. And I didn't like it when he went around the table and used the commitment pattern on us, asking us if we believed we would get 12 baptisms in two months, and the dishonesty of the other missionaries who were pressured into saying yes when they didn't really mean it, and how Elder Witt looked at me with disgust when I honestly said no, and then told me, then you will be the reason that we fail. Um, okay. 41. I don't like that during my mission, I spent more time trying to convert people to my cultural values than really listening and taking the time to learn about their cultural values, and that I had never really been taught to value anything outside of what I had been taught to be the truth that is the Mormon gospel. 42. I don't like the saying, I never said it would be easy, I only said it would be worth it. Especially that saying is on a picture of Jesus. He never said it, at least nowhere that I can find. 43. I don't like the way intellectualism is vilified in the church. The fear that people have of asking too many questions, or entertaining doubts, or encouraging new non-sanctioned perspectives because when they are learned they think they are wise, etc, etc. 44. I don't like that Elder Packer called gays, feminists, and intellectuals the three most dangerous groups to the church in these days. 45. I don't like what happened with the excommunication of the September 6. 46. I don't like the way historical or doctrinal contradictions get explained away without any real consideration. I don't like the fear behind it, the fear of learning things that will challenge valued beliefs. The idea that holding on to the valued beliefs and leaving them undisturbed is more valuable than being open to other possibilities. 47. I don't like that you tell me that you love me and respect me for who I am right now because I don't totally believe it. First, I don't think that you really even know who I am right now. And second, I have a pretty good sense of what you value in your life and I don't think I measure up to that. But I still thank you for the sentiment and I do believe that you love me. It's the respect part that I have trouble with. 48. 
Yeah, this one's a little too personal. Must not be revealed to the world at this time. 49. Ditto. Must not be revealed to the world at this time. 50. I don't like it when the church overpowers everything, that the world can't be appreciated or understood or valued unless it is filtered through that LDS worldview. At least, that's how I always was with it. I couldn't see a world that wasn't somehow a Mormon world, or at least a potentially Mormon world. 51. I don't like the way that the human mind can define its own reality. I have spoken with people who truly believe that they have had real experiences with the supernatural. Whether it's angels, ghosts, alien abductions, these experiences are real to them, and perhaps they did actually happen, but I doubt it. I think it's more likely that humans have a powerful ability to see what they believe, and that the power of imagination is absolutely amazing. I've seen interviews and read studies of people who manufacture memories to test this ability. They plant a memory of an event that never happened and nurse it along until the person firmly believes that the event actually happened. They remember significant details, sights, sounds, feelings of something that only ever happened in their imagination, in their head. I know that humans are pretty capable of this. And as Mormons, I think we would be pretty quick to accept this as an explanation for non-Mormon spirituality that is not in harmony with our position, but we would not be willing to apply it to ourselves. I know I've been that way at least. Of course, I don't really know how much of any of this can explain away these alleged experiences with the supernatural, but I don't like what it suggests. 52. I don't like that mom claimed divine inspiration in the Mesa temple to divorce you. 53. Too personal. Must not be revealed to the world at this time. 54. I don't like that Mormonism is such a huge part in your life that you can't seem to relate to me without it. 55. I don't like the struggles I've had in my own marriage, and that when I've knelt in prayer and I've fasted and gone to the temple, it hasn't really fixed any of those things. So, there's my list. And I'm sure that if I kept at it, there would be more. I will probably think of more things as I leave this behind and go about my day. I suspect that what I'm saying here only adds to your fear that whatever I say will be wrong or will be taken the wrong way and I will just screw things up if I've done in the past, end quote. I'm sorry about that. I have that fear too. But hopefully you'll take these things simply as my attempt to communicate and that you won't be offended by anything that I've said and that you especially will not reduce them to trivial pursuits. Which reminds me, you know what else I don't like? 56. I don't like it when people say things like, I think that it's good to question things and doctrines, if the point of the questioning is to gain a deeper and more correct understanding of the principles of the gospel being questioned. Well, hang on a minute there. If I already know that I'm going to gain a deeper, more correct understanding before I even ask the question, then I'm not really questioning, am I? If I'm going to truly and honestly question, I have to be willing to accept any outcome, don't I? Isn't it possible that a more correct understanding might be that the doctrine in question is false? Hang on, I've seen the way that you ask questions my whole life, never mind. Is there anything you want to tell me? Um, I don't know, Dad, what do you think I did? 57. I also don't like the implications and statements like, I do not think that it helps to reject concepts or principles just because I do not understand them or they are inconvenient to the style of life I think I want for myself. You don't think it helps what? Helps to stay in the church? Helps to stay in good standing with family members? 
If that's the case, then you're probably right. But if you're trying to be honest about how you really feel, it doesn't help to cling to them so tightly that you can't let go enough to really look at them, question them, analyze them. And again, it's pretty insulting to say that the rejection is happening just because of a lack of understanding or because they are inconvenient to a lifestyle that I want. What kind of lifestyle were you thinking of? I'm not gay. I don't drink or smoke or take illegal drugs. I'm not sexually promiscuous. Dreams don't count. Not the ones at night, anyway. I'll tell you what I want. The lifestyle I want is a harmonious one with my wife and children, with family and friends. And all those people are Mormon. In other words, the lifestyle I want is found in Mormon circles. So contrary to what you said, the doubts and struggles I have are themselves the things that are entirely inconvenient for the style of life that I want. The doubt itself, let's not call it rejection, the doubt itself is inconvenient, not the other way around. That's why I don't like all these things that I mentioned. I don't like them because they cause me to doubt the things I grew up absolutely loving, absolutely committed to. I don't want to doubt. I don't like doubting. But if I'm honest with myself, I have to accept that the doubt is there, the dislike of those things is there, and it's legitimate, and I cannot feel comfortable just explaining these things away. Now, if I'm really going to be fair here, or at least as symmetrical as possible, I should counter this list of things that I don't like with a list of all the things that I do like about the church, a list as long, or ideally considerably longer, than the don't like list. All right. I'll give it a shot. Number one, I like the idea of a God who loves me and will forgive me for my sins. Two, I like the story President Hinckley told of the woman who forgave the kid who threw a frozen turkey through her windshield. Three, I like the idea of eternal progression, that there is an evolution to existence, that there is so much more to life than just this life. Although, to be quite honest, there are times when I felt that absolute annihilation at death would be more merciful, more of a sweet peace than a continued eternal existence, which seems incomprehensible and overwhelming. But I like the idea of eternal progression nevertheless. Four, I like the way Mormonism opens up the cosmos, the possibility of other worlds, and all that implies. Five, I like the way Mormonism allows people a sense of closeness to God, a kind of direct access through personal revelation. I like the sense of respect and accountability that creates. Six, I like the belief that all people are children of God and that his work and glory is to bring them all eternal happiness. Seven, I liked the speculations that you shared with me when I was a kid, the mysteries of other planets that Christ visited with possible DNC illusions, I never got anyone to buy into all that, but it was still interesting and fun. Eight, I like feeling inspired to be a better person. Nine, I like knowing that I don't have to be perfect. 10, I like the way I feel when I'm calm and at peace instead of angry and full of doubt. 11, I like the promises made to me in my patriarchal blessing. 12, I like the idea that faith can sustain a person and lift his or her mood, and that there doesn't have to be knowledge, there doesn't have to be proof. It can just be faith, the desire for things hoped for but not seen. 13. 
I like the role that ritual plays in teaching principles of love, kindness, and forgiveness. I like ritual as a symbol for things, but I don't like it when ritual is taken literally. 14. I liked the feeling of importance that I carried with me as a missionary, the feeling that I was actually called of God to do what I was going to do. I also don't like that feeling of importance when it's misinterpreted and abused, as I'm sure it was with me. 15. I like Christmas. 16. I love my children and their innocence and joy. 17. I love my wife and that even though we struggle, we found a way to make it work, or at least a way to keep it all from blowing up, yet. 18. I like the talents I've been blessed with, the creativity and musical abilities, the intelligence and ability to understand things and put different pieces together and communicate those ideas. 19. I like my childhood memories, the nostalgia of a simpler time. 20. I like seeing pictures of me taking naps on my dad's chest. 21. I like it when Jonas takes naps on my chest. 22. I liked going to BYU, especially pre-mission freshman year. I liked the friends I met and the girls I dated. 23. I liked going to BYU football games, Ty Detmer's Heisman year. Go Cougars. 24. I liked the community of being around like-minded people who had a similar background and understanding of the world. 25. I liked the opportunity I had to come to Japan and learn the language and the culture. 26. I liked listening to Truman J. Madsen's tapes on the Prophet Joseph Smith. They inspired me. Joseph was my hero. I wanted to be like him. The portrait Madsen painted of him was very appealing. 27. I liked reading Talmadge's Jesus the Christ. I liked learning more about the loving, charitable New Testament, Third Nephi Jesus. I liked that he was rebellious in his way, that he challenged the religious dogma and hypocrisy in his day, and yet he could still forgive them. That is amazing to me, an ideal that has been so important to me that I really want to emulate as much as I can. 28. I like the Book of Mormon story of the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, that they would rather kneel and be slaughtered than take up arms against their brethren. I like the perspective that gives, that if we're truly converted, we should have no fear. Death should have no sting. 29. I like the Book of Mormon stories about the Gadianton robbers and how that whole secret combination corruption thing can be seen as a shadow for our day. 30. I like the complex layers of the Book of Mormon, the stories within the stories, the Mulekites and Jaredites, the journey of Haggoth, and all the possibilities that opens up for speculation. 31. I like the intrigue of additional scripture and the discovery of the lost tribes of Israel. 32. I like the Book of Mormon story about the fall of the Nephites, their pride, how they were justified in defending their lands against their enemies, but when they turned it around and started invading their enemies' lands, the wheels fell off. And, given this religious history, I don't understand for the life of me how any Book of Mormon believing Mormons can really support the war in Iraq. 33. I like it when Corianton cuts off Shiz's head and Shiz grasps his neck and gasps for breath. That's gross. Right on. 34. I like reading the Book of Mormon with my kids and pausing to explain things that they don't understand. 
like why it is that God would curse people with a black skin. <laughs> okay, I didn't say that, but that's what I meant. 35. I like the idea of millennial harmony and peace. 36. I like the articles of faith, especially number 11. 37. I like the promise of miracles. 38. I like the promise of new revelations and new doctrines. 39. I like that priesthood was extended to all worthy males in 1978, and I would have liked it if it were extended to women as well. 40. I like the promise that I can still have faith and find something good to latch on to, even if I struggle with these things that I really don't like. 41. A little too personal must not be revealed to the world at this time. 42. I like electricity, and automobiles, and trains, and airplanes, and TV, and computers, and iPods, even though there is no possible way that anyone in the whole wide world could ever possibly understand them. 43. I like being a punk. I love you, Dad. I don't like a lot of things about the church. I do like a lot of things about the church. I'm struggling to reconcile these things, to find some kind of harmony. I don't feel completely hot. I don't feel completely cold. I don't want to be lukewarm spat from the fence either, and I hope that's not really what God is all about. But this is where I am, and it's a struggle. All right, and then this is from my dad. So, you love me. Or, at the end of your last email, that's what it says. Given the bulk of the content of that email, I was relieved and glad indeed to receive that statement. But what do you really mean by that statement? Was it just a platitude? Or was there a hidden meaning lurking somewhere in that sentiment? Or am I to take that sentiment at face value and accept it according to the normal and ordinary meaning of those words? I choose to accept it at face value and give the words used in their normal and ordinary meaning in the English language. Do you love me enough to be involved in a dialogue with me? Or is this just a one-way street where you take shots at me and other things and I'm not expected or allowed to express my own thoughts and opinions? I have them, you know. Well, I think you have invited me into a dialogue, a two-way street of give and take. You gave last time. Now it's my turn to give. In my turn, I will be trying not to intentionally offend or hurt you, though both may appear from time to time. Here it goes. I read through your I don't like and I do like sections of the last email. Both have some merit, and some of both are pure crap and not worth the paper they're written on. I especially did not like the insinuation that I could not or cannot think for myself, that I can only deal in platitudes of little or no value to a real thinking person, someone with a real thinking brain. I have just one question for you. This is it. What makes you think that you're so unique? What makes you think that you're the only one that questions things and is puzzled by apparent inconsistencies that are seen or perceived as imagined? Sorry, I guess I have more than just one question. What makes you think that I have not had some of these same likes and dislikes as you have listed in your email? What have I ever done to or with you that would allow you to think that I am some blind, deaf, and dumb cow walking down some placid lane, oblivious to the life and dust and potholes in the road, being led by a rope attached to the ring in my nose by who knows who taking me to who knows where? What in the world makes you think I do not question things, struggle with things, and have a whole host of my own demons casting their doubts and acquisitions at me every day of my life? For that matter, where do you think you got that questioning mind of yours anyhow? 
you are not just the sum total of your own personal experiences. You have been influenced by a lot of us, by me, your grandfather, your grandmother, just to name a few in the family. Yes, you were influenced by your mother, as well as your brother and your sister, and a whole lot of others that I know of, as well as ones that I don't know of. You are a part and product of everyone that you've ever let into your life, some for good, and some things not so good. You can analyze the words I've written to you or spoken to you over the years and spin them and interpret them in any way that you want. You can put your own thoughts and motives into my words and actions and attack me for what you think I've said and what you thought that I meant. But the truth, or at least one type of the truth, is that what you may be really doing is not trying to understand me or draw close to me as much as you are projecting what you want me to be meaning or saying as opposed to really listening to me. And yes, I'm sure that I am on occasion, probably to many occasions, guilty of that same conduct. And the email from my dad goes on, but you get the point. You can kind of tell that the way that I presented it wasn't really as compassionate <laughs> as I thought that it was, or I claimed that it was. What, what was it that you heard? I, I was doing the CES letter before there was a CES letter. I was just laying it all down, just the weight of all of these things that I was feeling crushed under. And I dumped that on my dad. And I did it in a way where I was trying to be cute, trying to be funny in places, but you can hear it just made him feel like I was calling him stupid, which wasn't my intention and still isn't. So, you know, like I said, I, I was not expecting to do this today. <laughs> I was not expecting to go back to 2008 and uh, inhabit some of those feelings and emotions that I felt at the time. But uh, I'm glad that I did. So thank you, Ryan, for sending me your email. And I hope that this was helpful to you. And if there's anything that I can say on how to let go of the need for validation from others, how to develop your own sense of self-confidence so that you don't need other people to agree with you to be okay. I, I think it just takes time. I think it takes time and practice and patience. And I heard someone say this the other day. It, it really made me pause. That if the thing that you are fighting against, like, for example, the Mormon church, if, if this is the focus of your attention and what you want to do is to create a fight or to Bible bash or to prove them wrong or to find all of the things that are wrong, well, that's what you're putting your focus, your attention, your energy into, and you're going to get some version of that. If, if you're looking for a fight with the Mormon church or with Mormon people, your friends and family, you'll get it. You'll be able to create it. But if what you really want is peace, what you really want is that, that self-acceptance and that self-confidence where you're able to maintain relationships with people who see things very differently than you do. Well, if that's what you want, you can create that too. You put your time and your focus and your attention into maintaining those relationships, into loving those people, into being understanding. And it's hard. It's not something that you just know how to do. It wasn't something that I knew how to do right off the bat, and I'm still learning how to do it.
But I thought my dad made a really good point there in his email about me being a composite of every person that I've ever interacted with. They've influenced me in certain ways. And I've interacted with people different than he has, different than you have, different than anybody else has. So why would I expect that other people see things the way that I do? Why would I expect that other members of the church interpret this data the way that I do? It's not a very reasonable expectation. And one of the things that has been most valuable to me about going through a Mormon faith crisis is the way that I can take those lessons that I've learned and apply them to the way that I interact with people now outside of the Mormon church. Because I know people who some might call anti-vaxxers. And I know people who are very anti the anti-vaxxers. How do you have conversations with somebody who really strongly believes in QAnon conspiracy theories? There are a lot of issues right now that are bigger than Book of Mormon truthfulness. And developing the skills of being able to interact with people from a place of love rather than fighting for a particular cause. Wherever you fall on this COVID vaccination issue, I see people going to war over this. When I think on both sides, on all sides, what they really want is peace for everyone, love for everyone. But instead, we're getting a lot of battles, we're getting a lot of fighting and a lot of fear. So I think this is very timely. I think there are lessons to be learned. I think we're all in the process of growing from a seed to a sapling to a tree. And I hope that we can all focus on the world that we want to create, on the type of people that we want to be, and that we can look for the good and put down the weapons that we use against ourselves. We don't need them anymore. We don't need another war. And I say these things in the name of planet Earth. Amen, for now. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Hey there, thanks for listening all the way to the end. Now, I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I have more to say about this topic, and I'm going to do that with a follow-up behind-the-scenes sharing time episode on Patreon. So, if you're in a position where you can throw me a few dollars each month to support the work that I put into creating this podcast, please come and support me on Patreon, where you'll also get access to additional content. Did you know that I also create sharing time episodes that are available only to Patreon subscribers? I've been doing that for a few years, so there's a lot of content there that you can have access to. So please come and support this podcast if you can. I greatly appreciate it. Hi, this is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Keith, Ashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes and take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts float past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight.